It's the TEH podcast, episode number 131. I'm Leo Notenboom of askleo.com. And I'm Gary Rosenzweig of macmost.com. So, Gary, a couple of weeks ago, I was listening to a podcast, and I, I think I was listening to the podcast. It was one of the security-related ones. Mm-hmm. And it was talking about one of the bigger breaches that had happened. And there have been a couple of really big things happening over the past couple of months, I'd say, mm-hmm. you know, some, some hacks and some breaches that have gotten really made publicity. And, um, you know, he's this security expert. He does this for a living. And he was talking about these and the majority of them all come down to one thing, mm. fishing, fishing. Yeah. Somebody in the organization that got breached mm-hmm. somehow acted on an email that was other than it purported to be. Yeah. And this is apparently right now uh, the single most common approach or the com- most common way that um, ransomware gets into large organizations. Mm-hmm. It's the large, it's the most common way that uh, data breaches actually happen when, when data is actually stolen from organizations. I just find it absolutely fascinating that all of this has happened. And we have all this technology worrying about malicious software mm-hmm. and firewalls and this and that or the other thing. And it all comes down to, don't click that link. Yeah. Well, it kind of makes sense. As our security gets better on computers, the, you know, the security flaws flow to you know, whatever hasn't been taken care of. And what phishing comes down to really is the human element. Right. So we've got, you know, comp- operating systems that are much more secure, the, you know, apps that operate in their own sandboxes, uh, all sorts of techniques to detect uh, on networks and on computers if something is wrong, um, app stores that, you know, make it harder for apps to hide code and things like that. So it makes sense that as security evolves, everything pushes towards the, okay, computers are almost completely secure. So the only way to get through is to actually trick a human into saying, sure, I'll allow that, or here's my password, <laughs> take it. Um, What's funny this is, is I've got yeah. an article on Ask Leo from years ago um, that was um, um, uh, inspired by a phrase that uh, one of my compatriots at Microsoft once used. He talked about the dancing bunnies. Dancing bunnies, if you, you know, you can put all the security in place that you want, but users are going to bypass every single one of them if they've been promised dancing bunnies. Dang it, they're going to get the dancing bunnies they've been promised. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, it's all it's all very it's a psychological game. Instead of in the past, uh, you know, malicious individuals dealing with code and ways to get around security in code now it's psychology how can we trick the human yet hack the human brain into actually giving us what we want and phishing is kind of this term that it started out as something kind of specific but it's broken up into all these pieces now and by the way when we say phishing i'm sure we'll probably use it in the title i would imagine um we we mean phishing with a ph instead of an f uh, which is just kind of you know leet speak you know internet uh, stuff to, you know, just differentiate it from 
fishing with an F, but it has something in common in that, you know, it, it kind of, I guess, feels to the malicious individual that they're going fishing. Let's right. see if you we throw, can catch you throw one. Out a, you throw out a lure throw and you catch line. something. Yep. Yeah. Cat, let's see if we can catch something. What may, I think is, may or may not. But. What I think is funny is that it has actually spurred some additional um, uh, phrases or terminology. Yes. There's spear fishing. Yes. Where spear. instead yep. of just sort of throwing out a lure for anybody to catch, you're actually targeting an individual or, or mm -hmm. maybe a subset of individuals. And then there's some variations like smishing. I'm not even sure what that one is yet. <laughs> even terms like whales, like, you know, uh -huh. fishing uh -huh. for a whale, that would be, you know, you're trying to, you're, you're targeting somebody who's got a lot of money or influence. Right. right. As opposed to just, oh, I'll catch whatever is in the, in the water. Um, which is what most fishing is. And I actually did a video on this recently where I, I, I was determined not to use the term fishing from the get-go, like, you know, in the title. And what it really comes down to is, is people don't realize what can be faked. Right. And by not realizing what can be faked, you make yourself vulnerable to fishing. My first example is I think the most obvious one, but a lot of people still don't know it, is that email from addresses can be faked. So when you get an email message and you look at it on your computer or your phone, and it says it's from this person, this email address, that could be anything. And if it's a legitimate piece of email, it won't be. It will be who you know from who it says it's from. But if it's an illegitimate piece of email, that could be faked. And there's also a reply to field, by the way, that's different than from. Right. So something could be from and, you know, have like, you know, a legitimate company name there. But then when you hit reply, it doesn't use the from field. It uses the reply to. So then you're suddenly replying to somebody else who didn't, who didn't send the email. And it doesn't really matter because both of those can be faked. Yep. And you have to really kind of take the time to let that sink in and remember that because even after telling people that I get pushback, uh, you know, when people saying, Oh, I'm really careful to make sure I check the from field and that it's not, you know, not like, you know, Microsoft, but spelled with a one instead of an I or something. And it's like, right. that doesn't matter. <laughs> it could be Microsoft spelled exactly what, you know, as it should be. Uh, it you know, still could be faked. The, the technique can be used for good. Well, at least for fun. Um, yeah. In my early days at Microsoft, when I was very first just sort of figuring out this whole email thing, I was, that I mean, that was my first email account was there. Um, it dawned on me that this was possible. So I sent email to a coworker from Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah, at exactly. And, you know, I mean, it looks legitimate. It looks like it came mm -hmm. from colon Santa Claus at northpole.com. And it is trivially easy to do. Um, I, the articles that I have on it actually give you instructions on how to do it in a mail client because that's yeah. what you're really doing. And that's, that's not all that can be faked in email. I mean, everything in the body of the message can be faked, including uh, the links, um, obviously the links themselves, if you're going to click on a link and you know, it's got to go to that URL, but they could get really tricky in terms of faking, you know, uh, putting in an extra period in there, mm -hmm. changing a character, putting, you know, there's certain letters that in certain fonts, if you put a period before or after it, or you put two letters together, it's very hard to distinguish mm -hmm. what's there. And you see a lot of this and it's all using, you know, what we talked about before psychology to try to right. trick you. So I, I warn people that no matter how sure you are that you can look at a link and look at each character and confirm in your mind that that is 
the right site to go to. It doesn't, you know, if you do that a hundred times, there's going to be a couple times when you'll be fooled. Um, Absolutely. I actually sent a, just a, just a, as a demonstration, this is weird. I, it was a joke thing that went around. It was a, uh, uh, it was a, it's just a, picture of a, of text and it went around social media and it said something about um i i believe that if uh it, when you read it you think it says i believe that vaccinations should be mandatory and <laughs> if people don't yes. <laughs> if people don't agree to vac agree they should be forced right and when i read it the first time i was like okay, something suspicious here. And I had to read it a second time and I saw the issue. It doesn't say vaccinations at all. It says vacations. Yep. Vacations yep. should be mandatory. So I tested it out and sent it to members of my family. Every single one of them felt <laughs> without any explanation, I just sent it to them. And every single one of them fell for it and was mad that they fell for it. But it gives you an idea of like, no matter how, you know, when, I, when somebody goes and responds to one of my, posts about phishing or something about like, you really have to be careful and make sure the URL is correct. I'm like, no, you really have to ignore the URL. <laughs> and if it's like from your bank saying there's a problem and you need to log in, you need to not click on that link. You instead need to go to the bookmark you probably have for your bank because you presumably go there all the time sure. or, yep. you know, uh, go to it some legitimate way. Don't click on that link. Now, it could be the email is perfectly legitimate, but yep. you're doing it the safe way yep. by going to your, your bookmark. There is at least one extremely frustrating situation, scenario, hmm. where that advice doesn't work. And it's for one of the really, really high value targets. And that's PayPal. Hmm. PayPal continues to train people to click on links because there are some notifications where from what I can tell the only way to get to whatever it is they're talking about is to click on the link. You mm. can click it, you know, you could log into your account separately. You can do everything the right way as you're describing it, but for the life of me, you could spend a half a day looking for whatever it is they they're trying to get you to go to. And in fact, Nope. The link is the way to do it. And it's just like I said, it's not that that anybody at PayPal is is actively being malicious. Of course not. They're just being stupid. And the stupid part <laughs> is that not that they're doing this, but that they are training people to do the exact opposite of what you and I and so many others are claiming as best practices, which is right. don't and, click on that link. And the way to protect yourself in that case is password managers. Um, if you, you know, if you know that you get these PayPal links, which, you know, if somebody, if you sell stuff through eBay or Etsy right. or other places, you may be somebody that gets daily PayPal links, right? Mm -hmm. Whereas maybe the general public rarely gets them. The, if you use a password manager, if the link is not really to paypal.com, then the password manager, you know, you go to a page that says log in and your password manager, password manager will say, oh, I don't know. <laughs> yeah. because it's PayPal where the L is a one or something like right. that, or, right. you know, paypal.xyz.com or something. And your password manager is going to be like, I, I don't know what the site is. I don't have a password for it. So, you know, the, the way you could do it is you probably are logged into PayPal all the time right. if you use PayPal frequently, but if not go to paypal.com, log in using your password manager, then click on the link 
And if you get to where you're supposed to go, okay, because obviously yep. you were logged in and yep. it's all good. But if it says, no, you're not logged in, then it then you have to be suspicious and start checking, double checking everything yep. and yep. all of that because your password manager tipped you off that it has no idea what the site is. Um, maybe it's not what you think it is. So One of password managers are like the the best way to protect against phishing besides educating yourself of what phishing is and how one things of, can be faked. One of the questions I got recently that I'm, I'm working on an article about, or actually just finished an article about that'll show up in a couple of weeks, is um, what happens if I accidentally click on a phishing link? Mm, yeah. And the answer there is actually not clear. Uh, the, the problem is most of them act as you have been describing. Yeah. And that is you are taken to uh, some site somewhere that is not the official site for whatever you think it is. It looks like it, and it asks you to log in. And at that point, as long as you don't log in, yeah. you're okay. I mean, close the tab or you know whatever, but don't log in because... That's all that that was going to going to attempt to uh, to do is capture your login credentials. But they managed to get you to click on a link, and that link could be any number of other things as well. Um, there could be malware uh, that it downloads. There could be um, you know sites that are taking advantage of browser vulnerabilities. For all I know, I mean, there's so many things that could possibly maybe happen when you click on that link. So this is a lot more, this is about a lot more than just don't fill out the login form unless you know yeah. that they're at the right site. You've clicked on something that you don't trust. There's no way to know what really happened. Most of the time, you're probably okay. Yeah, It's the rest of the time. And the fact that you can't tell which bucket you're in that makes this such an important issue. Yeah, it's definitely, uh, certainly when browser vulnerabilities appear, phishing, this type of phishing is one of the ways that they try to exploit them. So, um, yeah, it's important to be educated about it. But, uh, but you know, if I think if you're, you know, you have to lower risk. And if you suspect all your email that comes in, mm-hmm. especially if it seems like something that's trying to make you stressed out, you know, right. oh, your bank account is overdrawn. Yep. Uh, you owe money. Uh, your order uh, shipping is late. You know, something it's like that. And you're like, what, what? And then, you you know, if you suspect it all and hesitate before you click, so you catch most of them. If every once in a while one gets through, you've mitigated your risk quite a bit. You right. know, instead of clicking on a hundred such links in a month, you know, you accidentally click on one or two you know, you've probably done as good as any average user can. <laughs> so I was just, um, as you were talking, browsing through the spam folder mm-hmm. on uh, one of my accounts. Yeah. And the it's good nice news, of them to send us, send us examples of these things. Yeah, just they constantly. do constantly, constant <laughs> examples of this. Um, and what I find uh, fascinating, first of all, is that when you're using a good spam fil- filter, like I use Gmail, and it, mm, yeah. in, my, in my mind, they ha- currently have still the best spam filter around. It's not perfect. You still have to be on your guard, but it does also check for things like uh, phishing. So the example that I'm getting a lot of, and I don't know if you are or not or the same or not, I'm getting so many fake DocuSign emails. Yes, um, I've got them. Mm-hmm. And they look 
pretty reasonable. I mean, if you if you enable um, images, which of course I'm not going to do, but if you enable images, then um, you know it actually doesn't look that bad, except for the fact that you know if you hover over the C document link, it's going to some random Google Docs document, which is not how DocuSign works. But the other the other links on that uh, on that email, they're legit. Yeah. Right. So all of the the contact us and support and homepage and those kind of links, if you look at all of those, they're fine. It's the target link. It's the link that they're threatening to do something with if you don't click. That's the one that they've made malicious. That's the one that they've weaponized. Right. It's a common technique for them to actually take a real email, you know, use that as a template and just put their bad link into it to fool you. Because if you're familiar with what, like, say, those DocuSign emails look like. Yep. Then that might get you know it might get past you. Also, another thing I often hear, and uh, you know, every time I talk about this is, oh, whenever you get an email, look for like bad grammar and misspellings. No, <laughs> it used to be true. It it it, it maybe. Yeah, but it used to be, but now it, no. I would weren't. not. Yeah. Uh, you know, that's sure. When there's bad grammar and misspellings, it probably means it's phishing or spam or whatever. But it doesn't you know, doesn't prove that it's real right. Right. just because the grammar and spelling are perfect. Right. And it's part, part of it is, you know, I have heard in the past, sometimes it's intentional that, mm -hmm. you know, if you send a, a million emails out that are bad grammar, or bad spelling, the people that look at them and say, no, I'm not clicking on anything in there. They weren't going to fall for it anyway. And the people that overlook the bad grammar and bad spelling, you know, because maybe they're not as tech savvy or they don't pay as close attention to what's actually there, they're more likely so they can increase their percentage of people yep. that actually fall for the, the yep. trick. But it's also, um, I think, getting cleaner, not just because, oh, yeah, hey, let's take some time to proofread this, you know, phishing attempt, <laughs> but also because they're stealing the templates. Right. They're looking at DocuSign's emails or PayPal's emails and saying, let's take that email, copy it as is, and just change that link. So, of course, everything is going to be perfect in it. So if you're looking for bad grammar and spelling as a sign, that's I think a bad technique to yeah, you use. can't assume the converse. If yeah. if it's if it's good grammar and good spelling, you can't still can't assume that it's good email. Right. Now there are other ways that this happens. Email's the easiest one to talk about, but phishing can happen on telephones, <laughs> regular <laughs> telephones. Um because again, something can be faked that not everybody thinks about, which is caller ID. So you can get a uh, caller ID, which actually is two components. There's a name, sometimes a company name, and there's the phone number. And depending upon what phone you've got, you might see both or one or the other. Right. So one thing is that you may see a fake name that says, you know, product support or tech support, or it may say Microsoft or Apple right. or the name or AT&T or something like that. That name could be anything. You know, you could put it out as any way you want easy to do. The phone number could also be faked. So even if for some reason you've memorized the 10-digit phone number for, you know, Apple or whatever, it, you may see that come up. Doesn't mean the phone call is coming from Apple. It could be faked. And this is used almost in the same way email is, except it's much more dangerous because you're you're usually either talking to a live person on the other end or you're getting a robocall that could lead to a live person very right. quickly if you actually, uh, you know, interface with it, you know, talk to it. Um, and they're, they're going to try to actually then really try to social engineer you into giving you access to your, you know, giving them access to your computer or giving credit card numbers or whatever. And 
boy, you know, it's a mistake to think that you're immune to it. I know a, a lot of trouble people get into is like, oh, I'd never fall for that. And, you know, psychology is a weird thing. You could, you could really be like somebody that, oh, I know about that stuff. I won't fall for it. And you could still fall for it because they could be really clever and they could fake other information too. A lot of people, you know, I'll hear, they'll say things like, oh, they knew my, they knew this bit, bit of information about me. Right. You know, they knew my whole address. They knew my whatever, you know, they, they gave me the last four digits of my credit card number. So I know that it must have been legitimately my credit card company calling me. It's like not necessarily. Yeah, I was gonna say. Oh, yeah, that stuff's easy to find out, easy to uh, to you know get publicly, and so just because they start telling you information that you think confirms that they are who they say they are, doesn't mean anything. Um, really, you shouldn't trust any phone call that comes into you, and you should know, of course, that companies like Microsoft, Apple, AT and T, Verizon. They will not call you and say something like, your computer has a virus. Right. I'm here to help. None of those companies do that. Yep. <laughs> they will never call you. They have no way of knowing if your computer has a virus or anything like that. But they would try to make it sound very convincing and make you very scared that you need to, to talk with them and they're here to help. You know, something you just said is actually not true. And I think that's what oh. makes what, what lends this a little bit of credence in the eyes of of individuals who are getting these calls. Yeah. Of course, Microsoft can know that my machine has a virus. I'm running Microsoft antivirus software. Oh, okay. And we wow. know that, you know, my machine your is talking back to the mothership all the time for a variety of reasons. Macs do it too, right? They're, they're talking back to, yeah. um, they're, they're sending like crash reports and so forth back to, to the mothership. Well, they're not sending data about the viruses that they find, or are they? And even if they are or aren't, they certainly could. And that's the thing that gives these these callers just a hint of believability, right? Right, because I, I guess, I mean, I think you have to realize is, of course, you know, the engineers at Apple aren't sitting around saying, hey, let's look at some log files. Oh, look at this. Right. Gary has a virus on right. his yeah, back. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Get, give me the phone. Get, hand the phone over. Let's give him a call. Let him know. <laughs> that's, you know, that's not happening. And yeah. same is true with, you know, it could be, um, you know, they use uh, uh, these uh, scammers, I'll call them. They use a lot of large numbers to try to, to do things. Like mm-hmm. they'll, if they call and say they're from Best Buy, or from Geek Squad, or from, you know, whatever. They might, it might take them 10 calls, but they'll hit somebody that did buy their computer at Best Buy. Yes. yes. <laughs> you know, and, oh, yeah, I think I did buy a certain, like a plan, like a warranty plan from Best Buy. And, oh, you say you're from Best Buy and you're calling because I have a virus? This checks out. Yep. Well, you know, it doesn't really check out. They're just, they're calling a lot of people because they know, you know, half a million people every year in the United States buy a computer from Best Buy or whatever, and they'll eventually get somebody uh, and they'll think that that um, legitimizes the call. Um, you know, I, I get, if I look through my spam and I look at stuff that's coming from banks, mm-hmm. um, I get all sorts of very large banks that I have no account with and right. never have. <laughs> and never have, yeah. Telling me that there's a problem with my account. And, but I could see, hey, hey, this bank is one of the largest banks in the United States. Yep. It's like 30% of all Americans have an account with this bank. 
So it's not that hard for them to send this out to everybody and know that 70% are going to scratch their heads and say, I don't have an account with that bank, but the other 30% are going to feel like, oh, this must be legitimate. Else, how would they know I had an account with them? Yep. So anyway, so phone calls is another way um, to do it. And of course, you can deal with that by just uh, you know calling back. You know, if, if your bank calls you or Apple calls you or something like that, you know, obviously, you know, spot the obvious scams. But if you really want to know, then hang up, call the actual number on the back of your credit card, or you know, find the official numbers for things, and and call, right. and you'll probably find out that you know the the company at the other end has no idea what you're talking about. But well, the but sad part is they probably do know what you're talking oh, about. Oh well, yes. Immediately tell they, you no. That's they know not that. Us. Yes. That's well, scam. and and it's hap- You know, and sometimes it's a positive. We actually got years ago. My wife got on her. Uh, a text message. And that's actually one of the other things. That's the next one I want to talk about is text messages. She actually got a text message saying that uh, there was a problem with her credit card. And she's like, oh, I better call this number. And I was like, don't call that number. <laughs> so she actually, um, you know, oh, yeah, okay. Went to the back of her credit card, called the 800 number in the back of the credit card. And they were like, oh, yes, actually, we did just send out a, an alert message to you 10 minutes ago. Let's go through some some of the recent charges and see what's going on. Oh, really? So it was it was a real text message from right. her credit card company. It was legit, uh-huh. but she did the safe thing by not clicking on the link. Now, this was years ago, and I, sure. I, I would be surprised if they're still doing it that way. They, they probably are. send out a message saying, please call the number on the back of your card to contact us. That's so the proper thing to do. I've had a couple of cases recently uh, where I've gotten that text message. Um, and all it's really doing is it's not asking me to call the number that they texted me. It's asking, you know, is this, is this charge you and reply mm-hmm. yes or no, or something like that. Uh, but the thing that to me makes it even more legit is that as I'm getting the text message, I'm also getting the same message in email, right? Mm, They're reaching yes. out to me using multiple different um, associations with that account. And, you know, a random spammer isn't necessarily going to know that, 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 you know, this email address and that text message both happen to be associated with that bank. So, you know, do the deed, but um, that's another way, but yes, it's always a case of no, don't call the number they text. You. Yeah. And keep in mind, uh, text messages can be, you know, things can be fake too. the caller ID yep. from the message uh, can be faked. Um, and, other types of messaging systems too. There are various different levels when you're talking about things like Snapchat, WeChat, mm-hmm. Signal, all of that. And there are perhaps some of them cannot have fake messages sent to you, perhaps. But I guarantee you they're all too young at this point to actually be able to say that for sure. So always be cautious if you, you know, say use WeChat or something like that. that what I find perhaps, interesting is that I keep hearing about companies starting to do more customer service on things like WhatsApp actually is the one Mm -hmm. that keeps coming up. And that does beg that exact question. How secure is it really? And even if it is secure, for example, uh, you know, you do agree to have your bank contact you via your WhatsApp account, uh, which is not hard to do because you're just identified by your mobile number. What if someone sets up a different account with the same name as your bank and reaches out to you? How do you know? Yeah. 
Yeah. I mean, there's, there, this is this, like you said, this is a very young technology in that sense. And I think there are a lot of security issues that need to be worked out. Right. And another thing that um, can be used for this uh, social media accounts. And there's actually a really common way that this happens, um, particularly with Facebook. And that is that somebody can start up a fake account for a real person. And it's super easy to do mm-hmm. because a lot of people on Facebook have public accounts where you could actually look them up and you could see their picture and see their name. And most importantly, you could see who their friends are. Mm-hmm. So it's trivial then to create a new Facebook account. And remember, there's like a billion, couple billion people on Facebook, you know, so it's not like Mark Zuckerberg's looking at like who's creating an account right now. <laughs> you know, they, so they create a, let's say it's, uh, you know, Mark Smith, you know, a friend of yours is Mark Smith. Well, Mark Smith, public picture, public name, and friends list is public. So a bot probably, it's probably not an actual person, some bot that's doing this by the hundreds or thousands at a time, goes and steals the picture because it's there on the website for anybody to see, steals the name, creates a new Facebook account. And, you know, I mean, Facebook has to realize, of course, there are people with the same name and all that. So uh, it creates this fake account. And then it uh, posts a few things to the account, a few things that are completely just whatever. Hey, really enjoying the summer. You know, uh, going out in the town tonight, you know, uh, cat meme, you know, that kind of thing. Maybe you know, reposting so some of the original accounts. Uh, yeah. Posts. Even that, if it could see that, maybe some of that stuff, you know, really just general stuff. So the account doesn't look dead. It doesn't look like it's zero. And then it goes through the friend list of the original account and asks to be friends with those people. Now, if your best friend is this Mark Smith person, you're going to know that right away. Hey, hey, wait, what's going on, Mark? Why do you have another Facebook account, right? But if you're casual friends with Mark, right. maybe somebody that hasn't really communicated with them for months or years, you may even forget that you're friends with them on Facebook. And Mark Smith comes up, there's the picture. Oh yeah, that's Mark. And you say, yeah, accept friend request. Oh, look, Mark's posting funny cat things, whatever. And then you forget about it. And months later, Maybe even after this fake Mark has posted other things that you know are of no consequence, Mark then the fake Mark tries to, you know, use a phishing attack on you, asking you for some piece of information or something, or mm-hmm. I mean, it could be anything. But at this point, you kind of trust Mark. This is like your friend Mark, your Facebook friends with them, and you have no, you know. So it's important to to realize that could happen as well, and it's hard to protect against, except. You know, be a little when you get a new friend request on Facebook or other social media networks. Think about it for a minute. Maybe really think: Do am I already friends with this person? Um, e- even if you are, though, there are scenarios where these ga- scammers can actually uh, make it look a little bit more legit because all they really have to do is say, "Hey, you know, my old account got yeah. hacked. I couldn't get it back. I'm just giving up on it. I'm starting on this new one." And I'm trying to reestablish all my friends. Very common. Yeah. So, so there's that. If you want to protect against you being the kind of, uh, you know, the name and the picture behind one of these attacks, it really doesn't affect you. If somebody steals your picture and your name and, you know, it only affects you because these are your friends that might be, you know, defrauded or whatever. But um, if you want to make sure this can't happen with your picture and name, uh, don't make your, at least don't make your friends list public. Because they can't do too much without that friends list. Matter of fact, they're probably not even going to try to use your picture or name 
without that friends list being public. So I'm off to my Facebook account real quick to see if, <laughs> to see if my friends list is public. Yeah. Probably so, is. you know, that's, that's the, you know, so I, I, I often run into people that say, oh, this happened to me again. You know, there's, they send out these posts, do not, do not, uh, you know, uh, accept a friend request from somebody that looks like me. It's not me. Right. And then, you know, six months later, it's happening again. Don't accept the friend. Re- it's like, oh, you got to turn off your, you know, making your friends list public. Else it's going to keep happening to you. Um, so anyway, so, so that's a, like kind of a, an interesting way and a way that it kind of demonstrates how you could be very knowledgeable about email phishing. You could be like, yeah, I don't trust when people call me on the phone, I've got this covered. Right. And then out of nowhere, you get, you know, sucked in by a Facebook message or post because how could that possibly be related to email phishing or phone phishing? And it could be basically the same kind of thing. Um, so social media accounts, you got to think about the fact that they could be faked as well and used for this. Um, and they, you know, the other one is also interesting because, um, it's websites. Websites can actually, uh, have fake stuff on them that is kind of phishing like, and this is misleading because all the other stuff, you know, well, most of it anyway, somebody is reaching out to try to contact you. Somebody's sending you an email, somebody's calling you on the phone, somebody's sending you a text message or a, a, a social media message. So you can be suspicious because it's like, I didn't initiate this conversation. They did. So as long as I always suspect when somebody else starts talking first, then I'm fine. Well, when you go to a website, you're the one initiating the uh, contact with the site. So you go to a site and then, and the most common thing to get is a pop-up or something that looks like a pop-up saying, your computer has a virus. Please download this now to fix it right away and all of this. Um, and these can be something as simple as an ad. So actually kind of weirdly almost legitimate or at least not illegal. You know, an ad basically says your computer could have a virus. Download such and such to, right. you know, and then you, but, you know, you read it quickly and you think it's telling you you have a virus. Or it could be something illegitimate, which is, not an ad paid for by somebody for the site, but actually the site itself has been compromised. And I've act, I've run into this, I've seen it many times. Right. You go to a site, a pop-up happens or something shows on the screen that says that, oh, your computer has a virus, you know, do this now, it's an emergency, you know, things are going bad. And the site, basically the server was compromised and usually in a very clever way, uh, for instance, if the server is located in New York, then the code that's compromised, it says, hey, if the IP address is anywhere near New York, don't show this. <laughs> oh, <laughs> but if uh-huh. it's somewhere else, then show it. <laughs> right. So the owner of the site Maybe is like, everything runs perfectly fine. There's yeah. nothing wrong. But then somebody in California goes look at the site and they get this this alert that pops up that doesn't seem like an ad. It seems like it's way more serious. And it's just fake and people fall for it because, well, I'm the one that went to the site in the first place. It's not like somebody's reaching out to me. The, um, the interesting thing is that they try to make this pop-up look like a system dialogue yeah, rather than an ad. Um, it's hard to do, but it's certainly doable. Um, yep. And certainly doable to the point where, you know, people who don't live and breathe this stuff like we do would just gloss over and say, yeah, that, that came from the system, not the website. Uh, exactly. And that's the kind of stuff that scares them. The one that cracks me up 
every time I, I've seen it, I actually have run into it a time or two. Um, and I, I'm just curious if you have the, the pop-ups that fire up uh, text-to-speech. So they mm. actually not only present this message, but if you've got your sound on, all of a sudden there's this automated voice telling you that your site has, you know, that your your browser has been compromised, yeah. or your machine has a virus. I haven't seen that. It's hilarious uh, just because it's so bad. And yet, and yet, you know, that of course there are going to be people that fall for that because it sounds and looks very official and very, very scary. And it can be in sites that seem pretty legitimate. I mean, it seems like for a while, maybe still newspaper websites were particularly afflicted by this. Interesting. And newspaper websites are the perfect target for this kind of thing because the actual entity, the newspaper, pre-exists, predates the internet. Right. So there's a legitimacy built up, not connected to the internet. You know, when a, you have a site like an Amazon or a Facebook or whatever, those are internet sites, right? They didn't exist before the internet. And, you know, the first thing that happened when those sites were created is a tech person set up a website. But the newspapers, they got their legitimacy well before the internet existed. So you have some web, some newspapers that said, we're going to hire smart tech people and set up a very professional website. But you have others that, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they they didn't. They said, we just need a quick website. Who can do it, right? And it's not like the, the people maybe setting it up weren't well-meaning, right? But they maybe weren't as professional as others. Right. So then you, you go to a website that's a small town website or maybe a big city website, but not the major one, or maybe an international, you know, one in another city in another country. And, you know, it, it's easiest there, actually. You know, you want to know, the news that's going on in some European country right from the source, right? Mm -hmm. So you go to a newspaper, oh, there's an English language newspaper in this country. You go to that and yeah, okay, now I'm, I'm seeing what the people in this country really think. And then you get this alert, virus alert or whatever. <laughs> well, that's very easy for them to pull off this thing because all they simply need to do is say, hey, only show this to people in the United States. Right. So then right. the people in that country have no idea that their server has been compromised. I see this a lot, like a lot of like so much so that if I need to get an example, I pretty much just start looking for like Wikipedia lists of like foreign newspapers, you know, ones outside the United States and just go to them until I, you know, and I pretty much can see like which ones are like really professional, which ones aren't. And before long, I'll hit one of these little like your Mac has a virus types of things. It's fascinating because I think a lot of people don't really understand that websites can be compromised. And yeah. in a lot of ways, I mean, ultimately, uh, to put it bluntly, websites really are on equipment that's not that dramatically different from our own, from the stuff mm. that's on your desktop. Uh, you know, the majority of websites are running on PCs. Uh, they're running software. Uh, sometimes the same software that we might be running on our PCs. Some of them are actually running versions of Windows. Some of them are running versions of Linux, most of them actually. Um, but Linux is also something that people run at home or in businesses and so forth. It's all just software and it all gets compromised often the very same way. One of the things that's kind of unique-ish for websites is that many of them are running the same software. Uh, the, I forget the numbers, but it's like a quarter of all websites are currently being powered by WordPress. 
Right, yeah. Which is neat and nifty, but as anybody who's running Microsoft Windows will tell you, that means you are a huge, huge target. And indeed, that's exactly what's happening on WordPress. A lot of the, the vulnerabilities that we hear about, the compromises we hear about, and the places where you run into these funky little pop-ups that, that have nothing to do with the site or your PC uh, are because a WordPress account or a WordPress site was hacked because of either a vulnerability in WordPress itself or in one of the plugins, one of the thousands and thousands of different plugins that uh, can be used with WordPress. Uh, plugins are being developed by all sorts of people from the professional to the not so much. And it's the not so much ones that really don't necessarily get that security might be important for what they're doing. Therefore, they end up leaving holes. And if they suddenly get popular, then all of a sudden you've got a, a WordPress plugin that doesn't really have its security act together that's being used by thousands and thousands of people. And all of a sudden, thousands and thousands of sites can get hacked. It's it's really easy to do. I've developed WordPress plugins myself, never mm -hmm. for public consumption, only for my own sites. Right. But I'm telling you, you know, I could I could probably find a really easy WordPress plugin idea, something that's already there's a bunch of plugins out there for already. I could probably in a couple of days write a WordPress plugin for that. Maybe that fulfills a need that the others don't. Mm -hmm. I could publish it. Mm -hmm. I could let it get a year's worth of good reviews. Mm -hmm. People saying this is great. I can't believe this is free. And then in an update. I could put just a little bit of code. You could go that, evil. <laughs> yeah, that goes and basically for those sites uh, will occasionally put a little pop-up that does something, asks for something, does some sort of phishing attempt, and I could sit back and wait and do. there would be data that would come in, people's IDs and passwords from whatever I was trying to trick them into doing. It's so easy to do that sometimes I scratch my head when somebody comes to me and says that they think their computer's been hacked or that they're being targeted or they, some sort of very convoluted attack on them, and I think, oh, that is what nobody's going to do that because it's so easy yeah. to do these other things. <laughs> There's so many easier ways. <laughs> it's so many, it's so many easier. Well, I've always used to use the, you know, when, when the internet uh, first started, you know, doing e commerce. So we're talking the 90s and people were hesitant to use their credit cards online. That, you know, people say, oh, I don't know if I want to get my credit card, you know, online. And I'm like, well, tell me when you go to a restaurant and you uh, go to pay for your food with a credit card, what do you do with it? Uh, you know, you hand it to the waiter, they disappear with it mm -hmm. <laughs> and come back. Now, of course, this is a U.S. thing, right? Most of the rest of the world doesn't do it this way. But um, and the U.S. probably is, is in the middle of changing, too. We're changing, but it's like, yeah. Why, why, why exactly would I go through all the steps of creating some sort of like systematic thing and software to trick people into getting credit card numbers? If I needed some credit card numbers, I'll bet I could, I could go to a restaurant that needed help. And probably if I went to enough of them, talk my way into getting a job at waiting tables. And at the first night, just take a picture with my cell phone of the of every credit card I see and then never show up to work again because I gave a <laughs> fake name anyway and just take those credit cards and there you go. You know, it's like, it's so easy to do that this whole idea of like, oh, is this is this software trying to steal my credit card number? It's like, that's what the software that's been around for years that has, you know, all this development work put into it. It's like, why would they take that difficult path to such an easy scam? And to, so, to be fair, I mean, the... 
um, when we hear about credit card compromises, yeah. it's often not a one-off case. It's not yeah. like they stole your card. No, they hacked the back end. They the back got end. the exactly. database. And then it doesn't matter how you used your card. If you use it in person, hand it to, to, a, to a cashier, or yeah. if you use it online, it's the same database. All that information is in there. Exactly. And that's how a lot of these, um, even though they were called kind of internet hacks and all, I think mm -hmm. some of them were actually from in-store credit card purchases. Yes. So you, you'd have a, a big retail chain. I, I have a couple of retail chains of mine that I think this happened to, but I won't mention names because I can't be sure this is exactly those mm -hmm. cases. But where when you actually took the time to read the articles, you find out that, you know, oh, a million credit cards were you know, stolen. And none of them were actually the credit cards used online. Right. That system was all encrypted and done properly. It was the in-store system. Yeah, the point where of sale system that did it. Their yeah. credit cards. That was the one that was. So if you only used your card online, your credit card was fine. But if yeah. you ever used it in the store where you thought you were being safe, that's where it got compromised. To go back to the restaurant briefly, the the, the additional twist I usually give to it is: okay, so you're fine handing your credit card to the server that you just pissed off, right? <laughs> <laughs> By some, you know, unreasonable, but you you gave them your credit card and they walked away with it and you trusted them even though. So yeah, I, uh, yeah, it's, it's online's fine. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, well, and of course now we have things like, uh, Apple Pay, Google Pay, mm -hmm. um, there's all these other payment systems that are all basically the same thing. They're they're masking your credit card number, so you're actually uh, not even uh, endangering your credit card number, whether you use it online or in the store. There have been a couple of um, scenarios where some credit card issuers mm -hmm. will let you generate um, on-demand credit card numbers. Yes. Which I think is awesome. I wish my credit card did that and it does not. However, um, there's a service that I use called privacy.com that uh, you sign up for. It's technically not a credit card. It's a debit card. But uh, what it allows you to do is, yeah, okay, make me a credit card. Poof, you've got a number. And then uh, put these limits on it. So you can say, you know what? This card can be used exactly once or this card can be used for only $20 a month, um, or this card can only be used for $150 a year or something like that. Mm -hmm. So they're like some hard limits. Oh, and the first time that card gets used, that's the only merchant that card will work with forever, ever. So it's like a really, really good way to provide this additional level of, of security on online credit card transactions. I yep. just love it. It's very much like, as you said, the Apple Pays and the Google Pays that are doing this just by the nature of the protocol they've developed for the contactless uh, sales. I've, what I find interesting, and I'm hoping to see some numbers at some point, my belief is that uh, contactless, specifically Google Pay and Apple Pay, have probably seen an unexpected uptick in the last 12 months simply because they offer something that now people suddenly realize is valuable. And that's the ability to make a credit card purchase without having to touch anything. Yes, definitely. I've seen that. And where it's really helped a lot is uh, big companies, you know, some stores, chains of stores and restaurants. Mm -hmm. um, they, you know, about this time last year, they all went into crisis mode and said, we need a list of things that we can do. 
you know, how can we make shopping safer? How right. can we make dining safer? Yep. And the people that generated those lists put on those lists contactless payments. So the stores that were like, oh, we don't need to pay attention to Apple Pay, suddenly said, oh, okay. Oh, this is something we could just do? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Okay. Check yep. that one off. Do it. And so they got interested. So yeah, I've definitely seen that happen. Because you know the small merchants, they were on board really early because small merchants have these, you know, you get these little terminals. Right. That are basically little tablets and you know the the modern cash registers, and those things were like well ahead of the big stores that felt like, oh uh, yeah, we're a huge you know retail chain. We have a thousand locations worldwide. I was gonna say it's a massive upgrade for them. For yeah, sure, we have to but, upgrade all yep. of our, our whole system. But yep, um, yeah, and it's funny because I noticed like within the last six months, I think it was all of a sudden, almost every gas station I've stopped in now lets me pay at the pump contactless. Which is actually. Oh, I haven't run into that cool. too much here, um, but at least they are. Uh, the big change I've seen is they all use the um, the chip and the card now. Oh right, right. So, um, well, that's nice because you know the skimmers are another issue. That's all. That's not fishing. Definitely. Well, is it? No, it it's is not really. Not really. Yeah, they're but not trying really to get you to do anything you wouldn't otherwise do. And when we think about fishing, I think the the bottom line definition we, we hear about it. We've talked about it across a lot of different um, uh, attack vectors, but ultimately phishing is trying to convince you that they are somebody they are not and right. get you to take some action that benefits them and not you. Right. Somebody is in, in disguise trying to fake who they are, who they say they are to convince you. So I think we've given a lot of good information out. Um, and uh, Indeed. Yeah. It's just uh, it's a big it's a big subject, but um, and something we probably won't, probably won't be the last time we talk about it. I think what'll happen is that you know we'll come up with another case of uh, something happening in the news, yeah, uh, and it'll be some massive breach that some huge bank or or whatever has all their records um, exposed, and all of a sudden it'll all come back to, oh yeah, Jane in accounting, she clicked on the wrong thing. And yep. poof, you know, that's that's how vulnerable some of these things are. I did want to also mention um, the, the Facebook breach from a couple of years ago, because that's actually what got me thinking along these lines as well. Okay. That was not phishing, uh, the result of phishing. Uh, a lot of information has been made available. It's back in 2019. Uh, and apparently it was a, a vulnerability in one of their APIs, I guess, that allowed people to go data mining. The, raise, the way that it relates to phishing is that the information that was made available for all of the compromised accounts was information that would allow fishers to do a better job of convincing you that they were legitimate. Hmm. For example, um, you know of, of Have I Been Pwned, the, the site that will tell you if your email address has shown up in a data breach. Right. I went ahead and looked at mine and know my email address is not part of the Facebook data breach, which I thought was kind of cool. Last night, I think, they added the ability to look up phone numbers because phone numbers were also part of the data breach. And sure enough, my phone number is has been compromised in the um, uh, Facebook data breach. I don't know that they'd have a way to relate it to me because I don't know what other information there is available. But that's the kind of thing right now that tells me for any contact, unexpected contact I get, 
the fact that they might know my cell number now means nothing. Hmm. They could have picked it up from um, the Facebook data breach and could now be using it to try and convince me that they know more, you know, th they know enough to prove that they're legitimate when in fact it doesn't prove anything at all. Hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. No. Go, go look yeah. up your phone number. I think you'll be surprised. I, 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 I did. And <laughs> I don't believe it, it came up as negative. You do have to put it in an in international form. Yeah. So, so. I, I, I put a plus one in front. Plus one and no dashes is what I did. Just yeah, that's what I did. It, okay, it good. did not, but my email address has been there. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, my email address is in like a dozen different breaches. Yeah. That, that's not too surprising. I know, and it's almost it's very, um, uh, you know, it's like once you're in there, it's like, well, you're not helping me too much by constantly telling me, oh no, you've been pwned, you know, and it's like I know. I mean, my, I've been using my email address since the dawn of the internet, and uh, right, and you're not going to stop using it. Now, where it helps though is when you find out, oh yeah, this service that you use has been breached. Yeah. Okay, so I know that everything related to that service is questionable, and the first thing I want to do for that specific service is run out and change my password, just in case they were doing security bad. Yeah. Cool. Well, I I will. Um, I'll jump right ahead to the the blatant self promotion. Cool. And and mention that I will the the video I mentioned at the beginning, six things that could be faked to compromise your security. Um, we'll link to that. So it's a video that's a much shorter version of what we just talked about. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, I ended. I did watch it this afternoon when you when you uh, when oh, you sent okay. the link. And yeah, interesting stuff. A good a good a good cover of uh, of like a, like you just said everything that we just talked about and a few other tangents. I suspect yep. that we you know we didn't cover every little bit. We didn't cover everything because um, yeah, I was focusing on what can be faked, and we're right. kind of focusing on the the major portion of that, which is phishing here. So. So yeah, for my blatant self-promotion, the I don't have anything really on tangent. The article that I mentioned earlier, um, you know, what happens if I accidentally click on a phishing link? That's something that'll get published in a couple of weeks. Um, for now, uh, the one that I think has people uh, opening their eyes just a little bit is uh, could a built-in tracking device on my laptop detect my Tor browsing history? I just find that fascinating because Tor you know, the onion router, yeah. it's been, you know, touted as a very important piece of security and anonymity and privacy and all these kinds of things. But this article in this scenario just goes to show how you are the weakest link still, right? If there's something on your computer, be it hardware or tracking device or malware or anything, all that is for naught. All of that additional security is for naught because once mm. you've allowed malware on your machine, um, all bets are off. Yep. Yeah, indeed. I mean, once you give once you give permission for something to be installed mm -hmm. on your system, um, it used to be that once you gave permission for something to be installed in your system, then all bets are off, like you said. Right. It's a little bit better now, but you can't assume that. Right. Exactly. Yeah, it's it, both Mac and Windows. You know, just because you gave something permission to be installed doesn't mean it has access to everything. But 
it kind of does. I mean, yep. you have to assume that it does and then hope for the best. Well, and depending on what the malware is trying to do, it may not need everything, right? Yeah. I mean, you know, if you you are doing everything in a browser and you've just installed something that, I don't know, maybe it's a browser extension or maybe it's just something that runs at the user level rather than an administrative level, but still is part of your user level, it could be potentially watching what you're sending across the wire, even if you're using Tor to do it. So, yeah. Yep, there's there's all sorts of of interesting scenarios that I think people at least need to be aware of. It really does underscore a lot of what we've been talking about. Phishing is scary. Don't let it happen to you. Malware is best dealt with by not letting it on your machine in the first place. Right. Exactly. Uh, you know, there, there's app. Once that happens, um, there's a lot of unknowns, and a lot of those unknowns are scary. Mm -hmm. All right then. Well, I think that about wraps it up. I think uh, the bottom awesome. line is more education, knowing the more you know, the better <laughs> off, the you know, better protected you are Yes. and never stop learning. I mean, I don't, I, you'd think after I wrote a book on Mac security, mm -hmm. I did a course on Mac security. Mm -hmm. I constantly do videos on Mac security, just like you've done so many things on Windows security, mm -hmm. but I suspect that neither one of us passes up a good article on this. Like we see something come across our feed about like, well, especially you know, if, if it's I, new, right? If it's new, or even if it's, you know, if it's just a new perspective, right. you know, if I saw something, you know, all the news sources I track, if there was an article that said, you know, 10, 10 ways phishing attacks could get you, right? I would at least skim through it. I would go and say, I know everything there is to know about phishing. So I would, because I'm constantly re-educating myself about it and, that this is something we do for a living for other people. You got to do the same thing. You basically you learn about it yep. now, yep. continue to learn about it. Continue to mention, educate yourself. There are a couple of phishing tests that folks can take out there. Um, I strongly recommend that th those are practiced. They're safe They're You know, if you find oh, one, interesting. Um, yeah. yeah. They'll just show you an email and tell you, okay, is it real or not? Right. <laughs> uh, and, uh, the one that I took most recently was literally just that pictures of emails. And in some cases it was obvious in some cases it wasn't. Um, I did not get hundred um, percent. I got something like two thirds just by looking at the emails. Now you and I and, and people who actually have access to the email in question would probably want to look at, okay, what happens if I hover over this link or if I'm really concerned, what are all those yeah. other headers behind the email? But just understanding how at the surface, the people where most people are looking, uh, it can be really, really hard to tell even, yeah. for, even for people who do this for a living. I don't think you can get hundred percent on a test like that because part of the whole idea is, is that it could look perfect. Yep. So you know, the only way to get 100% will be to be lucky. Like if the answers were, uh, yes, this is phishing. No, this is not phishing. Maybe this is phishing. Um, I'd say that the only true answer would never be say no. Yeah. <laughs> it's only, it's only yes. And maybe <laughs> that's, right. that's the, the only true answers yep. and that, and that being the case, you can never really get hundred percent, but right. I suspect that two thirds is probably something that you know, security professionals, that's like the score they would get yeah. <laughs> like normally. And, you know, and maybe the general public is 50% or less. So anyway, well, 
I've got a link for people to click on. The show notes for this week are at tehpodcast.com slash teh131. Accept no substitutes. That is not a phishing attempt. Do you have a comment or question for us? You can hit us up there, or you can hit us up on Facebook and Twitter at The TEH Podcast. As always, thanks for listening. Hope this was educational, and we will see you here again next week. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye.